well, here we are. Here we are. Kenda came up to me at the beginning. She goes, how do we welcome a new pastor that's been here for a year already? I said, we just continue. <laughs> right? We just say, all right, God, what's next? Right? A year ago today, a year ago today, Jesse and I and the girls arrived. And it's been an incredible, God-filled, yeah, it's cool. It's been an incredible, God-filled, ever-changing, ever-developing, but yet hope-building year. And it's pretty amazing that we can say that in the middle of a global pandemic, that God has been faithful. Yeah? Like, we were praying this morning, and I just, I had moments going through my mind as we were praying pre-service prayer this morning. Wow, God, you've been faithful there, and there, and there, and there. Oh, right, in the middle of a very chaotic world, God has been faithful because he doesn't change. Because he doesn't change. Ephesians, a mighty good future. I'm sweaty, they're falling off my face. This has been such a timely series, yeah? I know I've said that a couple times over the last few weeks, but it really has. And I was feeling this week, I feel like we're, we're going to look back at this time in this series. And it would not surprise me if we look back and see, wow, God, you were planting seeds right there. And in years to come and seasons to come, we're going to see the harvest come because of what God was sowing here right now. We're going to, um, Adam last week kind of did a little short recap as to kind of the why behind the book. And we're going to be focusing on beginning of chapter 6 this week. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Ephesians chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles. But I want to zoom out for a minute this week and, and kind of relook at a deeper why into why Paul is writing this letter to a group of followers of Jesus in the city of Ephesus which is pretty much the very beginning of the church in this city. There were no other followers of Jesus at the time. Like this, this is it. So Ephesians chapter six. The church has taken many forms over time, hasn't it? It's looked different. It has sounded different. There have been victories, but there have also been losses. You know, there's much joy, but there has also been much pain if you look at church history. We have been blessed, and we have been encouraged by the church, capital C, global church. But there have also been moments of hurt and moments of betrayal, hasn't there, really? And it's okay to talk about that. It's actually healthy for us to talk about that. Many great things have been done in the name of Jesus. But there has also been a lot of evil and destructive things that have been done in the name of Jesus. And we live kind of in that tension today, don't we? Even like many things around the world right now, and even in our own country, I think it kind of provokes the question to why the church? You know, you, you live in that tension, you kind of wonder, okay, I've seen this failure or this hurt or this pain or, or whatever, and you, you, you wonder, okay, is this the why behind the church or is there something else? What is the church supposed to look like? You know, the church doesn't really fit in our far-right paradigm. If you look at kind of like a, from a political standpoint, it doesn't really fit into the far-right, but it also doesn't fit into the far-left paradigm either. You know, if you think down through human history, time after time, we see the church attempting to fit into many different human systems, and it just doesn't seem to fit exactly right. There's moments that it may look like it takes on this this moral definition or not, but really at the end of the day, it doesn't quite fit. 
And this is the tension that led a 21-year-old firecracker to leave Bible college because he thought he could do it better than what he heard in the classroom. That's me. (laughs) In case you were wondering. But it also is the same tension, that same question as to why, what is the church, that led a 25 or 26-year-old defeated, humbled, I think far more teachable young man back to Bible college to learn a few things. It's also the same tension that led a family to move, ooh, here we go, it's already begun, move to Graham and Ann and say yes to Jesus and come and live in a place they'd never visited. It's also the tension that led a 32-year-old man to say yes and live here and pastor, and I'm so excited to be here. I was saying to Jesse last night as we were going to bed, like, can you, like, can you believe that we're here right now doing this? Like, ask us over a year ago, we, yeah, no, that's crazy. But the Lord, man, the Lord is, is so in the big details and the small ones, isn't he? So why the church? What is it supposed to be? In the midst of all the, the good and the bad, through the highs and the lows, through victories and defeat, through miracles and scandals, the teachings of Jesus portray this new way of living, a new way of existence that's full of revolutionary love, full of revolutionary grace, and full of revolutionary compassion and freedom. This is where we find the book of Ephesians, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the citizens of Ephesians or Ephesus who have been captured by the love of God. In the middle of their own chaos, in the middle of their own defeats, in the middle of their own losses. And wondering, now that we've given our lives to Jesus, what is this supposed to look like? Now what do we do? So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Holy Spirit, would you speak today? Continue to speak today as you already have. Illuminate something to us today, God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know what? We'll pause right there and get the kids to come back upstairs. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. There's some wisdom right there, kids. Fathers, do not exacerbate or put down your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, or in other words, discipleship. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves to Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Wow. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Before we go any further, I'm just going to go there. This is not Paul affirming slavery. This passage has been used over and over in the wrong context. This is not Paul saying that slavery is okay. You know, Adam brought us into 
this truth last week. I loved it. It was so, what a prime for this week. Paul right here is speaking into the very context that they find themselves in. You know, this is the reality that most of them, most of the people found themselves in, whether, you know, whether they are slave or master or parent or child or husband or wife, as we read last week, they have all decided to follow Jesus. But they find themselves in this weird economy of living that says, now what? Husband and wives, parents and children, slaves or bond servants and masters. Just like today, men and women were deciding to follow Jesus in all categories of life, from all over the spectrum. There were the less thans of society coming to know Jesus, but there were also the greater thans in society, the social elite and the lower class all coming together trying to figure out what this looks like. This small movement of Jesus followers began to spread throughout this region. It's amazing. And this group became a color palette of social class, age groups, and ethnic backgrounds. What a mess. (laughs) But also what a beautiful thing. There were outsiders and insiders from different ways of life, different belief systems, different histories coming and drawn into the teachings of Jesus that taught about a better way of living. Who, for the record, and we talked about this this morning in prayer, This movement was started by a man being crucified on a cross, being falsely accused and crucified by his own people. And yet we stand here today because King Jesus rose from the dead. But this is where they found themselves. There's something new about this new way, these radical teachings of Jesus of Nazareth that drew people into something far much larger than themselves, a life of self-sacrifice, a life of surrender. And we find Paul navigating all of this mess, just like today, for the readers and the people that are following Jesus in Ephesus. And Adam brought a powerful and beautiful word last week on how we navigate and we flourish in our relationships. It was such a good word. I love when Adam teaches. Paul continues in this right here and talking about the relationship between children and parents and slaves and masters. We're not, we're not going to go deep into the dynamics of these relationships this morning. That's another teaching. But what we see here is Paul looking at extremes in society. In the society, as Adam said, in the society of the day, women and children and slaves had very little rights and privileges, if any at all. They were barely seen as human in the Roman society. So the city of Ephesus, quick history lesson, the city of Ephesus was in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, just like any other empire that has come before and after, was built simply on conquering other nations and making those citizens of these other nations their slaves. So the entire system of life within a Roman Empire, any empire for that matter, is the Roman Empire taking down other nations and making them their slaves. And it was hinged on that fact that there was this social ladder climb where wealthy, wealthy men of privilege, pretty much, could climb to the, to the very top and they could crush anybody in their way. So that's the city and the life that these followers of Jesus find themselves in. This is a reality which the followers of Jesus find themselves in an empire that is completely in opposition to the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus talked about, they're looking at their way of life and they're like, I don't know how that fits here. It was immersed in these social hierarchies. Everything was divided into who was greater and who was less. And it was all about the greater than pushing down the less than. 
Paul, through the teachings and the ways of Jesus, is flipping this power structure on its head. This social hierarchy is just getting flipped completely. We've seen this through the entirety of Paul's letter. Do you remember earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, it's saying that there, we are no longer Jew or Gentile, but we are all one new humanity under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. There's no divide. Those of you who have been on the outside are now on the inside. And those of you who have been on the inside keeping others out, you're now realizing there really wasn't an inside in the first place. All are welcome to the table. Under the rule of, and the reign of King Jesus, within this new way of living, which Jesus called the kingdom of God, all power dynamics and these social structures that human beings have created are crippled and they're laid to rest. And all are welcome in. Paul is using these three examples. Husband and wife. Child and parents. Slaves and masters. Where there's this prominent existence. It's hard for us to understand today in the 21st century. But especially in the first century. These were huge and very oppressive power dynamics. But as Jesus followers, Paul is inviting to live differently. We've got to do this differently. Paul is essentially saying that. We have to do this differently. Paul, could, Paul couldn't cripple the slave trade in one, one letter to the church of Ephesus, right? Like he just, he couldn't. There's no way. But what Paul could do, Paul could take the teachings and the ways of Jesus, and he could say to the church, capital C, followers of Jesus, we have to do this differently. You may live in this different social structure, but guess what? Now you are invited to the kingdom of God. And we have to do this differently. And we see this in the teachings of Jesus, don't we? Matthew 5, it's this rich and full section of Jesus' teachings, all about what life looks like now as followers of Jesus or within the kingdom of God. It says this, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be called sons of your Father in heaven, or children of heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get in that? He's basically saying that's easy. If you love the people that you like, I mean, everybody does that. Do not even tax collectors do the same? He's basically, like, tax collectors were not popular just for... Sorry to burst your bubble. But tax collectors were not popular people. They were seen in many eyes as evil people. And so Jesus is basically saying, even evil people love those that they like. But we live in a different way. There's this way of living that loves the people you like and hate and avoid your enemies. But Jesus is saying, what if, what if we loved our enemies? What if, we, what if we actually prayed for those people that don't like us? Or that don't get us. What would, it, what would it do? What would it do to your city? What would it do to your village? What would it do to your island? What would it do to the world? What would it do to the world? The verse directly before this says, you have heard that it is said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Jesus speaking, not to resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him, your other as well. If someone wants to sue you, take your tunic. Let him have your whole cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is, an, is actually an extremely revolutionary statement from Jesus. See, within the Roman Empire, if you were a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen, you could tell anybody from any other like, nationality or background that was not like a higher elite to carry your bag for one mile. You had a legal right to say, hey, you, carry my bag. And Jesus is saying, you know what? What if, what if instead of taking on the role of a slave or taking on the role of less than, and instead of getting angry and doing it and underneath your breath just like cursing out the person, what if instead you said, hey, man, how about, how about I care if, carry it for two? How's your day going? What's your name? Either the person's going to be blown away and uncomfortable and basically say, never mind. No, that's fine. Or the presence of God was going to invade that friendship. And there's something about that love that starts to turn the tide. Generosity and love. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's actually ushering in a whole new economy into a broken, hateful, and manipulating system of power-hungry people. Us. The way of life that leads with love and grace and mercy, this type of living actually disarms powers that are around us. This is why Paul is talking to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus about, you know, the relationships between husband and wife and parents and children and slaves and masters. As followers of Jesus, living within these power dynamics that exist to bring about pain and hurt, right in their current state of living, he's inviting them into a whole new economy. We don't live in the first century under the Roman Empire, thank goodness. (laughs) But these teachings of Jesus, these ways of living are just as provocative and revolutionary today. We're coming out of an almost two-year journey of our lives pretty much being fully online. It doesn't take long to look at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and just see the rise of arguments and hurtful and hateful opinions for one another, even within the church, especially within the church. It's an easy time to be critical. I would argue A world of social hierarchies and power structures very much still exist. It just looks more socially acceptable now. It's more glamorized. It has makeup on it. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor in Portland, Oregon, said this, and I'm going to paraphrase. All the social unrest and anger and hatred and pain that we're seeing globally during this pandemic has always been there. But the the pandemic didn't start it. It has only just poured gas on a fire and made it rage harder. Whoa. More than ever, I believe the community in the world of Jesus followers, us here in this place, the church, capital C, needs to be hungry to recapture this view of living. A a life that is centered around loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. More than ever, I believe the church needs to be a picture of a different way. A way that disarms toxic and demeaning power and instead takes on the role of a loving servant. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He took on the role of a loving servant, selfishly living a life of compassion, of grace, and of love. We may live in a small blip on the global map compared to some other places, 
But the love of Jesus needs to be on display just as much as a New York City, as a Portland, as a San Francisco, or as a London. Yeah? It doesn't matter where we live. We may not see, you know, the social unrest and the riots of some of the larger cities around us. But the love and the grace of Jesus needs to be the very air that we breathe here. Jesus came and he entered a history of broken systems, broken kingdoms that humanity has created, attempting to control and have this really strange false sense of power. These these broken kingdoms left people hurt and alone. It never works, does it? You know, we create these human-made systems and then what happens? Another power comes up that's stronger and angrier and more hurtful and takes down the current and then makes a new one. Why? Because human kingdoms were never meant to last. They don't last. What if, I'm going to ask a question, what if, what if we were actually created to live in a whole different kingdom? What if our own human kingdoms are just this really weak attempt at something far better? What if all the brokenness we see, even in the most noble attempts for a just system, like they're just, they're just an attempt to get to a better king? David uh, in the Psalm said this, Psalm 145. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. That's good news. The eyes of of all look to you and you give their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Trustworthy, faithful, upholds all who fall. He lifts up all who are bowed down, satisfying every living thing. No other human sister, I mean sister, system in the world, or sister, no human system that has ever existed or will exist could ever offer that. You'll get close. You'll get close. But that's, there's no king like that king. That is good news to a broken world. That's a good news kingdom to a broken world. And do you know how this kingdom, this way of life was going to spread in the world? The church. Us. Exactly. Us. A group of people. No better thans. No less thans. No slaves. No masters. Together. United. Living a life of revolutionary love. Revolutionary grace. Revolutionary compassion. It's this beautiful prayer in the book of John where Jesus says this. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, us today. He's praying for us, that all of them may be one, just as you and I are one. Wow. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity is a testament to the fact that Jesus has said who he says he is.
what a, what a weight. Our unity, our togetherness, our loving each other is actually evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. A community, a united community of people living in the midst of a broken world, living each moment with the love of God on display. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus says this to his disciples. Some of you would know this. By this they will know that you are my disciples. If what? You love one another. Very simple. It's like Jesus was saying, okay, guys, I'm going to be going into some pretty heavy stuff. I've said a lot. You've been with me for a long time. Let me make this really simple. If you guys do not have love for one another, they're not going to know you follow me. Wow. If this is how the church began, a community of people loving as Jesus loved, no wonder God added to their numbers. You read that in the book of Acts, don't you? They shared everything. They were united together. There was no greater thans or less than. And then it says the Lord added to their numbers. A community of people loving from the heart of Jesus is a contagious community. It draws attention. It provokes questions. You know, we can't get rid of every injustice in the world. It'd be nice if we could. But we can start by the little things. We can start with the little things. Husbands and wives, honor and love each other as Jesus loved you. Parents and children, honor and love each other just like Jesus loved you. Slaves and masters or power dynamics, love and honor each other just like Jesus loved you. Start where you find yourself. Start where you find yourself. When the person is gossiping about you again and all you want to do is lash out. When the person who is supposed to love you and reciprocate that love back that you show them and they just don't. And you can't seem to figure it out. When your kids are driving you absolutely insane and you are the most sleep deprived you never thought humanly possible. When you're pushed down and you're shut out because you're a less than in society. Or you, are, you and your friends are the ones pushing people down because you're a greater than in society. We are followers of Jesus. We don't live in the same social economies anymore. We get to live a new way. Our first reaction gets to be love. Our first reaction gets to be grace. Our first reaction gets to be compassion. I used gets there very on purpose. It's a gift to do that. That doesn't mean, though, that we're called to be pushovers. If you read the Gospels, Jesus was far from a pushover. And we won't get into that teaching today. But he was filled with love. He was filled with grace. Even in the moments when he seemed the most angry, there was for this deep burden that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But instead of getting angry and violent, I'm gonna choose love. Because violence and hurt does not amount to healing. All of this begins to take shape as we are filled with the Holy Spirit being remade, because this doesn't happen on our own. Can I get an amen? My first gut reaction is not, mm, how am I going to love so self-sacrificing today? I got I to gotta go there for, like, between the Lord and I, Lord, make me like that today. When I'm getting need in the face as a wake-up, as my alarm clock by, <laughs> Lord, I love this kid. I love this kid so much. <laughs> but that's, that's the real stuff, right? That's the, that's the nitty-gritty of real life. When no one's watching, it's choosing love. It's choosing love. And that's the beauty of being God's creation. 
we no longer are living for ourselves, but we get to live for something greater, something more. And we see that in the passage we began with. Serve wholeheartedly as if we were serving the Lord, not people. Matthew 25 tells a story of his father. Michelle, you can come up. says this. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in person? We didn't see that. But Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Even in the moments when it is hard to love and it's hard to serve and you know it will not be reciprocated, we all find ourselves in those moments. We love and serve because we get to love and serve King Jesus through all that we do, all that we do. What if, what if that's how Lighthouse Church was known on Graham and Ann? What if that's how, when people, when people thought of Lighthouse Church, they thought, man, those people know how to love us. My goodness. What if when someone's life falls apart, Lighthouse Church was the first to ask, what do you need? What can I do? Well, I don't go to your church. I don't care if you go to our church. You're a human being. What do you need? What if when we felt prompted to love someone or ask about their day, we did it in the moment, believing in a simple hello, the Holy Spirit can invade somebody else's world. You have no idea what a high can do. You don't know what somebody's going through. A simple high, hey, how's it going? Man, that may just open the door to a whole new world. When I dream and I pray for us, I've, been, I've, I've spent the last few weeks just not, not, separating myself a time, but just trying to unplug a little bit and just pray and listen for us as a church. And I think, I think I really believe, not think, I know, I believe we're gonna see the church grow and people come to experience a real life with Jesus. It's gonna be in these little moments of love. It's gonna be over dinner tables and coffee and friendship at the Independent when there's a propane link. <laughs> It's going to be getting gas. And you notice somebody's having a bad day, and you're like, hey, man, hope it's going all right. Can I help in any way? You might get a no, but you don't know. Maybe they're going to unload their soul on you in that moment, and they're just like, I don't know what to do next. I do. Hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? Why don't you come? Or what are you doing right now? Let's go get coffee. It's going to be in the little moments of love. When we kick open the doors of grace and let grace and love soak all that we do and all that we say. We get to start with grace. We get to start with love. We get to start with compassion. John Tyson, he's a pastor and a church planner in New York, said this in his book, Beautiful Resistance. In the church, hierarchies are flattened by the cross. The church becomes an alternate community. It should be a place where normal hindrances that keep people in and out are removed and all are equal in, in King Jesus. Redirection through the cross jams a culture of intersectionality. All are welcome. Every single person in this room, you and I, we were once not sitting at the table with Jesus, right? We were all at one point far away. 
But Jesus invited us each to the table. How dare we not invite other people to the table? Right? That's the invitation from Jesus. May we not find ourselves sitting at a table by ourselves. If we miss it, we may look around us and see that Jesus' place at the table is empty. And he's over sitting over there with the other people that we kept out. Who? We are invited to love as Jesus loved. A whole new humanity. A whole new family. All the power structures pushing other people down and lifting others up are all crippled in the kingdom of God. We get to love. We get to show grace. We get to show compassion. And it's in the little moments together. Man, if we love each other the way Jesus asked us to in unity, man, watch out, world. When we, when we lay down our, our need to be right, and we say, you know what? We're better together than we are separated. And you, man, you guys do that. I, I continually can't believe I get to be in a community of three churches that said, and it wasn't easy and it wasn't smooth, I know that. And we're still, we're gonna go into new things of healing that I think we haven't even seen yet. And the Lord's gonna do mighty and great things. I'm believing it. The amount of conversations I have, oh, Nelly, it's awesome. I just said, oh, Nelly. I've never said, oh, Nelly. I should have said it was mighty, right? Is that, that's, right? But man, if we love each other and say we're better together than we ever are separated, I don't care if you hurt me. We're going to deal with that, but we need each other. Oh, man. Watch out, because the Holy Spirit's going to do something good. Because love, love disarms power. I'm going to end with this story. There's a, there's an account where Martin Luther King Jr. was in Birmingham, Alabama, giving a speech. And all of a sudden, this 250-pound white man just charges him, just starts pummeling him. And all of his aides and security, they rush the stage trying to protect him. And Martin Luther King, who's not a very big guy, he just bear hugs him. He bear hugs him because it was more important to protect this guy than to just back away and say, I just... he bear hugs the guy. Later on in the speech, he, he brings this man out, introduces him as an honored guest. His name was Roy James. He was a 24-year-old New York City man, and he was a leader in the, uh, the American Nazi party. Love disrupts the power of hate. The guy didn't know what to do. He expected Martin Luther King to just, no, he hugged him. He protected him. Because that's what the love of Jesus does. And that's the love we get to be invited into. It's not easy. Goodness, it's not easy. But we get to do it together. We get to do it together. Would you pray with me as we go? Oh, man, God. I feel like this has been a journey of discovering your love for the last few years in my life. More than that, maybe a decade or more. I just feel like you've been inviting me into a deeper place of, John, what would, what would happen if you let my love take absolutely absolute control over you? And I want to go on that journey with these people. Man, God, what would happen if Lighthouse Church took seriously the truth that Jesus said that if, it's, if my love 
is going to be what defines you as my followers. A life full of grace, a life full of love, a life that says, I don't need to be right every time, but I get to love you. And we get to do that together. Lord, I know this is kind of a, kind of a large perspective teaching this morning, and we're not going to figure this out overnight, but Lord, may we, may we accept your invitation into the kingdom economy of love where our go-to response is, man, what could the love of Jesus do today? Holy Spirit, what would your presence in me being lived out as a conduit today look like? Lord, may we enter that invitation together. And I I, I just believe, God, you're saying, just wait and see. Just wait and see. See what I'm going to do. See what I'm going to do. God, I love these people. What a gift it is to have even already been here a year and be able to step into this this morning with real friends in the room, real family in the room. What a gift. And God, we say yes together. Even, I want to invite you, I'm gonna pray, but I just want to invite you, if the Lord's really speaking to your heart today, would you even just in, in your soul, if you feel like the Lord's speaking to you, just even, you don't even have to say it out loud, but would you just even respond with a yes in your soul? That if something's tugging at you this morning, it's like, wow, Lord, I don't, I don't fully understand everything that was said today, but man, there's something there I need to respond to. God, as one community today, as a person in that community, not just a leader, but as a person living within it, we respond to your call of love today with a yes. Even when we get it wrong, even when we make mistakes, even when we don't get it perfect, before any of that, we say yes. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us today? Would you fill us with love? We get to be people of love. We get to be people of grace. We get to be people of compassion. There's victory in your name, Jesus. We love you. We love you. Amen.